if you ache for truth, goodness, and beauty, if you're hungry for a Christianity with substance and strength, if you long for a faith that's big and bold and biblical and all about Jesus Christ, if you're inspired by the idea of one church that has spanned 20 centuries, 24 time zones, and two hemispheres, enfolding every race, nation, and language, then you're considering Catholicism. One of Jesus' most definitive statements is found in John chapter 14, verse 6. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Christianity, and thus Catholicism, was founded on the principle that St. Peter so clearly proclaimed in Acts chapter 4, verse 12. Peter said, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. That's the driving force behind the church's mission to spread the gospel and bring people closer to him. But while Christ is the only gateway into the kingdom of God, there are as many different paths to that gate as there are people. From every direction, seekers prompted by the Holy Spirit approach that gate from over field and mountain, through sea and skies, each with a different story of why and how they got there. On this podcast, we've heard these stories. Today, we're going to hear one that you never would have expected. Why would someone take off a police chief's gold badge to put on the Roman collar of a Catholic priest? But that's exactly what today's guest, Father Mike Cillibrace, did. And he's going to share with us how that happened, including the moment at the Admiral gas station, pump number three, when he heard Jesus say, set aside your badge take up your cross, and come and follow me. But there's another powerful aspect to Father Mike's story. Many of us have children who seem to have wandered away from the faith. We baptized them, we took them to First Communion, maybe we even saw them confirmed. And then they stopped coming to church. And we despair because we fear they may have wandered away from the fold permanently. But Jesus is the good shepherd who leaves the 99 to search for the lost sheep and bring it back. And, once again, he often brings them back by paths that we never would have imagined. And that's what Christ did with Father Mike. Listen to him describe how the Holy Spirit worked through what some of us might consider an inconsequential trinket, a little ring with the ancient Cairo symbol on it that he received as a part of his first communion packet. It became a sign to draw him back. Never forget that the Lord can use the smallest things that we do to change the course of someone else's life. I have a special debt of gratitude to Father Mike. After I converted to Catholicism, he was the first priest to offer me a job in the Catholic Church, and he supported our vision for launching the Lakeshore Academy for the New Evangelization, and he helped us to launch it. He also serves on the board of the ministry that produces this podcast, One Whirling Adventure. Now, he has since moved on to another parish, Holy Family in Caledonia, Michigan, 
but Father Mike has been my pastor and my boss. He is now one of my board members, and he has always been my good friend. I'm so excited that he came on the podcast to tell his story. So welcome, Father Mike. Uh, Thank you for being willing to join us on the podcast. You bet. So, Father, why don't you just introduce yourself, share a little bit of your biography so people get to know a little bit of who who you are. Sure. So I have uh, what most people would say is kind of an interesting biography. I was uh, previously uh, married, and I have two sons. And... um, I've been a priest for about 14 years now, so I'm what you would consider the late vocation. Um, And I was previously also in um, law enforcement for about 24 years, and 21 years of that was at Ferris State University for the campus police. And when I left there um, in 2003, I was the the police chief there. So I've got uh, a lot of experience in life, to say the least. I'd say I had a broad background in um, academics, too. Um, I was on many different paths, it seemed, at, at different times in my life. Um, so I've got like an associate's degree in criminal justice. And at one time, I thought I was going to be a social worker, so I have a bachelor's degree in social work. And then, um, of course, um, I have a master's in divinity from Mundelein in Illinois, north of Chicago. Did you go into law enforcement then uh, right out of school or? Oh, I pretty much did um, near my associate's degree in criminal justice. And basically, after completion of that degree, I went right into law enforcement. So I was only 20 when I became a sworn officer. And being a police officer had been my lifetime dream. That's all I wanted to be since age five. Was there something in law enforcement that appealed to you? Because I think it's going to be interesting, you know, when we think about your story, is there any kind of continuity, you know, or thread that kind of runs through your life of, you know, sort of what your sense of vocation or what drives your interests you? I think I was attracted to, and this could be a connection, of course, to the ministry of really serving people. So I came from a family that were um, what I would consider part of the personalities as really servant-oriented, mm. uh, public servants. You know, my dad was a, a high school teacher and a coach. Mm-hmm. My mom served in several different positions. One in a hospital uh, as an accountant where she was highly regarded, and many people would say she held the place together. Mm. Um, Both of my brothers have public servant lives in the Department of Corrections. I think it was a call to service at the beginning Mm -hmm. and just thought that that was a noble uh, profession to be in. So after 24 years in law enforcement, you're the chief of police at Ferris State University. How did you become a Catholic priest? And first of all, I guess before we get to the priesthood is just how did you become Catholic? Um, I was raised Catholic, but only up to a certain age um, until I received uh, first Eucharist. And then my dad, who's a Catholic in our family, kind of fell away from the church. And we moved from a place that he had been working for several years and then moved to another location. 
And he, he recovered his faith later, like in his early 40s, which was kind of a connection because that's when my faith really started taking off. But basically, over a 30-year-plus period, I was not really anywhere in my faith and also was not really sensing a presence of God in my life. Mm. So there was quite a period there. There may have been one time um, in the late 70s where I had a friend who was from a Bible church, and we had conversations about God, and it piqued my interest for a short time. He was uh, very evangelical. Um, So after being away from the church for so long, I'd have to say probably one of the main triggers for me starting to realize God's presence in my life was I had some very very broken and um, wounded relationships. And it seemed like that I just was not strong in my relationships. I'd always had this vision that I would be married and have children. But as my life progressed, relationships just fell apart. And I felt like this kind of like this emptiness and like, was I missing something? You know, what was I missing? There, there was a point in my life where um, after having this strong desire to be married and be with someone and have children that um, I finally realized, you know, maybe that's not what God had in mind for me as I started to grow in my more of my awareness with him. And so what I decided to do was I decided I was going to put aside like what I considered my pre-programming of what I thought life was supposed to be like for me. Hmm. And I decided to go into um, kind of, um, I was still at Ferris at this time, but kind of guided myself and looking back now through the grace of God into a, a period of silence and just let myself be still. And I believe I started to hear more of God's voice um, during that time. So I felt like I was being called to God, to God, um, surprisingly to me. I also became aware, more aware of God in my life very powerfully because at the time I was seeing a counselor about some of my failed and broken relationships. And this counselor happened to be a uh, very, very strong and devout Catholic hmm. who did not hide his Catholicism. And so during my journey with him and um, um, the more I found out the more about myself, the more I started to realize God was present. And that sort of set me on the pathway of, you know, I'm going to go seeking God uh, because apparently God is seeking me. So I went out on this adventure, I would say, and my first stop was in an evangelical church. Okay. And, And I spent some time there. I then went on to a Christian Reformed church where I spent some time there. Then I went on to a Lutheran church, and I spent a little time there. So I was doing what you would call your church shopping. Right. Okay. And again, all this time I'm seeing this Catholic uh, counselor. Okay. And what I realized um, was that when I was with the evangelical church, there seemed to be something that was really missing. Hmm. And I, and things just didn't seem right. I mean, I really grew in my relationship with God during the experience at those, while I was doing my 
so-called church shopping. But one thing that really struck me when I was at the evangelical church was that when they would have their version of communion, they would have um, the little pieces of bread and the little wine cups. Right. And I remember somebody who was assisting the pastor at that time saying, um, we're going to be distributing this bread and wine, but remember... Uh, this is purely symbolic, but he also said something that was interesting to me and stuck with me, and that was that, but you should not be receiving this these, this wine and this bread if um, you are in a not good relationship with God and with others. Mm. And I thought, well, this does not make any sense to me. <laughs> uh, because uh, if this is purely symbolic, um, why would that be said? Why would that right. be an issue? Right. And then one of, one of the other things at the evangelical church I noticed is that they, they never really prayed the Our Father. Hmm. And I thought, this is really unusual. There's not much said about the Our Father. <laughs> right. And I'm, I'm just wondering, you know, well, this is like the greatest prayer of, of all that Jesus taught us. And that's not being recognized or acknowledged. Right. And so there, there were little things like this that were mm-hmm. drawing me back eventually to the Catholic Church. And before I did my church shopping journey, I, I remember over the years when I was away from the church for over 30 years, uh, um, I had a lot of misconceptions, I think um, a lot of ignorance about the church because my Basically, um, my catechesis stopped after first Eucharist. Okay. And so I remember saying over the years, if I ever did go back to the church, it would never be back to that Catholic church. (laughs) (laughs) And so uh, God has a sense of humor because apparently that was um, where he, he was leading me. I'm one that, um, as a Catholic and as a Christian, I believe in signs. Mm -hmm. And I think that this is something that, um, I think that God is always giving us signs. It's whether we have the spiritual awareness to know that those are signs and then what they mean. Right. Okay, so I became, in my silent periods, became very, very attentive to -to day-to-day movements, Mm -hmm. moments. After I did return to the Catholic Church, I remembered that there were many signs. Well, first of all, one of the biggest signs was that I went to a counselor who happened to be Catholic. Mm. And he wasn't primarily, um, his clients weren't primarily Catholics, if they happened to be. That was probably God's providence, too. But I felt there was great providence in the fact that I was seeing this counselor that happened to be Catholic. As I moved closer to the Catholic Church, um, he encouraged me to uh, go to adoration of the Blessed Sacrament. And I remember one night at uh, in Big Rapids uh, at St. Paul's Church, where I was a member after I returned, that I was sitting in front of the Blessed Sacrament. Um, it was late evening, and all of a sudden, just a wave of peace rushed over my entire body, and I thought, "Wow." I had never experienced this type of peace before. Here I was close to 40 years old, and I'm just, I'm feeling, this is what peace feels like. Um, And probably the first time that I could recognize uh, what what peace really was. 
So there were other things that that happened too. Uh, too many to say here, but um, one of them I remember um, when I was had first Eucharist, first communion, that uh, my brother and I both received like a little devotional. Um, packet or case, I guess it was a little plastic case and it contained different things in it. Um, it was a gift uh, from the church at that time. And in the, the little pouch or packet that I got uh, was a little missile, um, a rosary, of course. And then there was a little silver ring. And these were all very inexpensive items. And the ring that was in that displayed a what's called the Cairo, the mm. Cairo symbol. Right. And are you familiar with the Cairo symbol? I'm yes. sure you are. Yeah. So it's the <laughs> it's the first letter in Greek, it's the first two letters of Christ. So it looks that's like an it looks like an X and a P, but in, that's in right. Greek it's the the letter Chi, which is X, and Rho, which is like R. And so it's yeah. and it was the ancient uh, one of the ancient uh, symbols of the early church. Yes, and um, as a young child, and you couldn't have explained it any better, for some reason I remembered that I was so fascinated with that ring, and some some nights, some days, I would just like stare at this, like there was a great mystery behind it, even at my age of, age of seven. And... Um, Later in life, as I was moving through my uh, church shopping and moving towards the Catholic Church, I would I would start to have flashbacks of that ring and mm. what it all meant. And I brought it up at my counseling, one of my counseling sessions, and the counselor uh, mentioned, "Well, you know what that is." And I go, "Well, no, but I keep having these internal flashbacks of that ring." So he explained it not as nicely as you did. But he explained what it meant. I, just as an aside, Father Mike, the story is that when the uh, Roman Emperor Constantine converted to Christianity and then made Christianity the official religion of the Roman Empire, it's because he had had a vision of the Cairo symbol in the sky. And uh, he had seen this fiery Cairo symbol, which was the early popular symbol of the early Christians. And, and uh, he was about to face this battle. And he heard a voice saying, you know, trust in, in this symbol and you'll be victorious. And then he was victorious and he said, well, I guess I trusted in this symbol. And so that began his conversion. So it's just interesting that that powerful symbol of the Cairo symbol of the early church, you know, which represents Jesus Christ. It has a real, had a capacity not only to have historical significance like that, but to burn itself into your soul and heart vision. Yeah, that's powerful to hear that because even though I've been a priest for the last 14 years and have been a seminary for five years, I never heard that background story on, on the Cairo. And it actually makes... Uh, the hairs in the back of my neck even stand up more. Well, that's why we launched that. One Whirling Adventure, to tell the story of the, <laughs> the Catholic story, right? So, Yeah. Well, what's really interesting, uh, the story about the Cairo didn't stop because then, uh, you know, close to 40 or early 40s, then I became fixated on this, this Cairo, and I went back to my parents' house to try to find that little case or pouch that contained all these first Eucharist goodies. And I looked and I looked and I scoured and I scoured. I couldn't find it anywhere. 
And so I was quite disappointed. I was like on a little little uh, obsessive track, I guess you would say, to find that. And probably a few months later, um, I came back to my parents' house and sitting on um, the table was that case. Oh, my. <laughs> yeah. And I opened it up and there was, of course, the ring. Wow. Yeah. So, it turned out that it, it wasn't the ring, my ring, but my brother had received one at the same time. And for some reason, mine had become lost, but I assumed his ring. That's awesome. <laughs> so, yeah. so the Holy Spirit was sort of like, uh, you know, putting breadcrumbs uh, oh, yeah. on a trail to lead you back to the church. What sort of helped you pull the trigger uh, to make a decision to enter the church? I I think what pulled the trigger was that the real, uh, this realization through the silence and the meditation and the prayer and reflections of my life, that the relationships that I had were all serving God's purpose, but the ultimate relationship that he wanted me to have was with him and that the others, other relationships that I had and as I mentioned, many were broken and um, there was some woundedness with those were actually meant to lead me to God. So that kind of mm-hmm. goes into what you're talking about, the breadcrumbs. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's, it's like St. Augustine's quote that my heart is forever, forever restless until it finds right. its rest in thee, right? Right. So that really resonated with me when I stumbled a- across that uh, quote too. And I just felt like uh, sometimes God was talking to me directly. And, you know, you have to discern these things. Any Christian does. Um, Is it you talking? Is it your culture talking? Is it your parents talking? Um, Is it God talking? And after going through this process of returning back to the church, I remember so specifically, um, I was still employed at Ferris State University, and I was on on the south end of town filling up my car at the Admiral Gas Station (laughs) at pump number three. (laughs) (laughs) Very specific memory, right? Yes, I do. And I thought I heard a voice say, I want you to become a priest. Wow. And I was so terrified and so afraid. And I had started to develop um, a good relationship with my pastor, Father Wayne Wheeler, who was at St. Paul's Church at that time. And I went to talk to him about all of these things. And it was interesting because um, he'd seen um, my quick growth and um, my attraction to the Eucharist right from the beginning. And he said that he wasn't surprised that I came to talk to him about that. And I was very hesitant to do it because I thought, you know, this is very, very surreal. And if these words come out of my mouth, what's going to happen? But they did come out of my mouth. And an interesting part, well, it was all interesting, was that I probably came back into the Catholic Church around 2001, fall of 2001. Mm. And then by 2003, I was, the fall of 2003, I was studying at seminary. Mm-hmm. And I actually um, received confirmation um, just a few months before I entered seminary. Isn't that interesting? So, you were actually confirmed into the Catholic Church just a couple of months before studying to be yeah. a priest. 
Wow. And so I've always told everybody, um, you know, with great humility that I received my catechesis by going to seminary. Wow. I mean, but that's powerful. Uh, yeah. And it's a powerful story of evangelization and and following, you know, the breadcrumbs, following the Holy Spirit, how God reels us in. That's interesting because some of the people that I've interviewed for the podcast come in at the tail end of a long period of study. Um, mm-hmm. You know, myself, I spent 20 years studying Catholicism before I decided to pull the trigger and enter it. There's a lot of different ways in to the church. The Holy Spirit will bring people in through a lot of different doors and a lot of different directions and on a lot of different paths. And evangelization yeah. is about making all of that possible. It's, it's absolutely correct. And probably when you're most surprised that it's happened, that's a, a good sign that it was the Holy Spirit. Yeah. You know, First Peter 3.15 tells us to always be prepared to give an answer for the hope we have in Christ. So a very simple question, which is, why are you a Catholic? You've told us how you became a Catholic, but yeah. what, are, what are the reasons that you have a Catholic faith or you chose the Catholic faith or the Catholic faith chose you? And, and of course, you, every one of us has every day wakes up and decides to continue to be Catholic. So so why the Catholic faith instead of all those other churches that you, you visited on your journey? Before I entered seminary in a very short period of time, probably three years or so, I totally immersed myself into um, reading about the Catholic faith, reading scripture, getting to know the saints, and I started to actually see myself in the stories of some of the stories of the Bible, like the prodigal son. Mm. Okay. Or what really resonated with me, um, was the ending of the gospel of John where Jesus has his, his encounter, or I should say Peter has his encounter with the risen Christ. Mm. And he's um, telling him, um, you know, You've done all the things that you're going to do, and you've done them the way you're going to do, but now somebody else is going to address you and lead you where you don't want to go. Mm-hmm. And he was telling him to feed my sheep. But I think, um, so there was, I was getting, um, doing a lot of studying um, on my own, a lot of prayer and con- continued meditation and silence. As I read, Scripture was, you know, like in um, John, mm-hmm. Gospel of John, chapter 17, um, Jesus says, I pray that they be one as we are one. And I also was familiar with the Acts of the Apostle where it was revealed that's where the disciples and the apostles and all the followers were basically first um, took on the name as Christians. And I started really thinking and meditating about the nature of God and God's uh, oneness. And so it did not make sense to me from a practical or a logical point of view that God wanted his children separated in in any way, Mm. that there was to be one shepherd. Mm. And I knew that that was the the teachings of the original church, the, the Catholic church, and so with those realizations and those acknowledgement that um, we weren't supposed to be separated, I, I went back to what the church was 
I think that the God had it envisioned from the beginning, but through, you know, human sinfulness and so forth had divided in so many ways. So I wanted to, I felt really drawn back to the, the oneness of the Catholic church from the beginning before all the, the problems in history um, kind of tore that apart. Right. I mean, we say in the creed every uh, week in mass, I, I believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. And it's a sort of a foundation right. of our faith. Exactly. So that's what I went back to. And, you know, uh, those other experiences that I relate to is like a, a big jigsaw puzzle being put together. Mm. And more and more peace uh, came with, like, through prayer and meditation and silence, learning more about the faith, studying scripture. I also had a spiritual director um, during that time, this fantastic spiritual director who happened to used to be a Jesuit priest and that did some work in our diocese for a while. And um, so he was a real godsend. Well, you know, how interesting it is, again, how God works in our lives uh, and how he writes our stories and, you know, constructs these sort of intricate characters in, inside of us. In as much as you come from a law enforcement background, the story that you shared, uh, trying to come out of broken or wounded relationships, and then to be brought through the priesthood, catechized to the priesthood in a sense, and to find yourself in this Carmelite place of, of sort of letting go and listening yeah. to God. And it's, it's just a really remarkable story. You know, if somebody had said to you when you were a teenager, this is how your life is going to play out, I, you probably would have been shocked. I, it was not on my radar at all. As a matter of fact, if you recall, um, during part of my church shopping, I prior to that was, I'll never return to that Catholic church. <laughs> right. Right. So, yeah, so, so Father, yeah. so, so as, a, as someone who's come into the church himself and as someone who has now dedicated his life to ministry— what are the kinds of things that the church or faithful Catholics could or should do to bring more people, including their loved ones, into the faith or to get them to return to the faith or return to mass or, or to keep them from leaving in the first place? What could we do to help other people come to the faith in the way that you did? Well, I think the, it has to start with the person that's going to do the evangelizing, which we're all called to do. If you don't have a firm foundation, um, if you don't have like an authentic love for God, uh, if you haven't done the work of, of studying Catholicism and in the mysteries of the church and the Eucharist. Um, so I'd say the primary thing is that you have to you have to be open to being evangelized yourself. You can't and be very yeah. You can't share what you don't have, right? Right. You have to have that very deep, personal, intimate relationship with the Lord yourself. And you know, I think that kind of goes along with what we've heard from previous popes too that. Um, we've, we've been hearing over the last years, many years, that in order for us to evangelize, we're going to have to be evangelized first. Right. And so what does that mean? It means that you have this intimate relationship with God, 
that you come to believe that that intimate relationship with God was meant through the Catholic Church and its origins. Um, there has to be some type of devotion and dedication to understanding the faith and being able to articulate it. You know, of course, uh, becoming very, very familiar with the scriptures, which Catholics aren't all that well known for. But even if you were to come to know, you know, some main scripture passages, it could be very, very helpful. And the other thing, too, is that I think our sense of culture, and even within the church, we see that there's this loss of mystery. Mm. People, are, I think we're all hardwired because we're made in the image of God for the mysteries. Right. But we, we, we try to seek these mysteries in other, other ways instead of like, you know, focusing on the original mystery right. of, of God sending his only son uh, to us. And we get caught up in a lot of other, other areas. I mean, I've often said um, you, it would be bottomless to ever uncover or discover all of the mysteries of God as they're associated with, you know, the Catholic Church and the Christian Christian faith. So getting back to like a mystery or, or that return to mystery and, and um, just thinking about the incarnation and yeah. the... The things that flowed from like that, like you, you've been saying to me, I've been following these breadcrumbs. Well, the ultimate breadcrumb that I ended up following, as it turned out, um, was the Eucharist. Right. And my love for the Eucharist is I cannot even describe that. And it's wonderful because you you can finally come to a point, I think, in your, your journey and your spiritual life when you realize that all... All God, all God's love is encapsulated in the Eucharistic species of the bread, the uh, consecrated bread and the consecrated wine, the body and blood of Christ. It's all there. So I like to, when I'm part of my evangelization, you know, you do that even as a priest because you you talk to people quite regularly that have doubts about um God in general, but about the Catholic faith is that, you know, I try to send some people back to scripture to, to meditate on certain things. And, you know, the, there's so many things you could meditate on there. You know, I, I would say like, what did you think it meant? Like in uh, the gospels, when Jesus is celebrating the Eucharist and he says, do this in memory of me. And what do you think Jesus was saying in the bread of life discourse in John chapter six, when he's actually identifying uh, the bread and the wine as his body and blood and calling it true, true food and true, true drink and truly his body and that you won't have or enjoy eternal life or resurrected life unless um, you're consuming this. So, you know, sometimes it depends on where your your relationship is with somebody, too. And that's, I think, a big part, too, is you have to establish um, intimate, authentic relationships with people, like in the workplace, even in the church, um, in your families, of course. You have to have trusting relationships. And then I think that... Um, organically, um, evangelization occurs that you're you're planting seeds and 
um, following uh, or laying down those breadcrumbs that you've been mentioning. Yeah, right. And, you know, it is that, I mean, you know, if we want to grow the church, we have to grow ourselves. And, you know, you mentioned um, what the popes have talked about. The last five popes have talked about the new evangelization and the new evangelization is growing ourselves so that we can grow into the world. And because of that, you were the pastor that helped us found the Lakeshore Academy for the New Evangelization, and you've been so gracious to serve on the board of One Whirling Adventure and make all this possible. It's inspiring that you, that God brought you along on the journey that he's brought you along, and that now you're able to, uh, in your priesthood and in our work together, able to help others to take that same journey. So thank you so much, Father. Thank you. Um, it's it's just, uh, you know, all I can think about is blessing upon blessing each day. Absolutely. And I, I don't think it's any coincidence, or, you know, just like me coming up with my spiritual director and my counselor during a different time that our paths crossed, too. I think that was all, and I know we've had these conversations, very, very providential yep. in ways that um, we could never expect or even hope for or really even envision. Well, and you that know, was all through God. It's all through the Holy Spirit. Well, you know, he's the author of the greatest story that's ever being been told or is being told, and we're all characters in it. And he's bringing it all to weaving all of our tales together and bringing it to some, you know, amazing conclusion someday. So it's exciting to Absolutely. live in that. Well, Father, Absolutely. thank you for your time. I know how um, many responsibilities you have and you need to get back to those because service is a big part of who you are. And so we're thank you for taking the time out to speak with us and with our listeners. And God bless you in your ministry. Thank you. And it's been an honor and a blessing to be with you today. Thank you so much, Father. You bet. God bless. We'll get back to the episode in a few moments. But first, I want to share with you an ancient principle of Catholicism. While we are saved by faith, true faith seeks understanding. Christ imparts to us a holy curiosity. We want to learn and grow and come to know more and more of God's word, his will, and his works. The Catholic life should be an ongoing journey of discovery. So, if you're enjoying the Considering Catholicism podcast, then join me and other instructors for the next step in this journey by joining the Lakeshore Academy for the New Evangelization. Five years ago, we launched the Lakeshore Academy for the New Evangelization, or LANE as we call it, to foster a culture of faith-filled, lifelong Catholic learning in hearts, homes, and parishes. As the Dean of LANE, I invite you to join me and its other teachers for a wide range of learning experiences for adults as well as for children and families. Lane offers structured courses in Catholic topics, both online and in person, as well as seminars, audio and video documentaries, and field trips, both real and virtual. There are already dozens of courses in our library, with new programs being offered all the time. To check out the catalog and schedule, and to learn more about how it works, visit lanecatholic.org. That's L-A-N-E 
catholic.org, where faith seeks understanding. Our time is winding down, but we end every episode by learning and leaning into one of the classic Catholic prayers. For those of you who are considering Catholicism, consider making this prayer a regular part of your relationship with God. Lord, teach us to pray the prayers of the church with all the saints. Catholics feeling guilty is an old cliche, but cliches are often rooted in truth. And the truth is that guilt is an essential element in Christianity. We can't accept Christ's offer of salvation unless we realize that we are in need of saving. Until we feel lost, we won't call for help, and we will never accept it when we are found. Acknowledging our sin is what brings us to the foot of the cross and makes us fall down before our Savior. The Gospels are full of stories of people, like St. Peter, who fell down and confessed that they were sinners when they met Jesus. That's why they followed him. And so, confession of sin is a key component of Christian prayer. It makes us ready to receive grace. Therefore, acknowledging our sin is an explicit component in the liturgy of the Catholic Mass. It prepares us to hear the proclamation of the gospel and to celebrate the sacred mysteries of the sacraments. One of the prayers used in the Mass is known as the Confidier. Catholics ought to know it by heart so that they can pray it sincerely from the heart. But there is no reason that it can't be used as a form or an outline or a model for our own private devotions as we acknowledge that we are poor sinners in need of a Savior. But notice two interesting elements in this prayer. First, we emphasize that we recognize our fault by saying it and making the gesture of beating our breast three times in acknowledgement of the Holy Trinity. Second, we ask for the prayers of the community. Not only those that we can see around us, but the saints above us around God's throne. Because of the prayers of the saints for us are like sacrificial incense. But while the gospel begins with acknowledging our guilt, it doesn't end there. We have forgiveness, absolution, freedom through Christ. And yet, by praying this prayer, we remember what he has done for us. The Confidior I confess to Almighty God and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have greatly sinned in my thoughts and in my words, in what I have done and in what I have failed to do, through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault. Therefore, I ask Blessed Mary, ever-Virgin, all the angels and saints, and you, my brothers and sisters, to pray for me to the Lord our God. Amen. Thank you for listening. Considering Catholicism is produced by One Whirling Adventure, a 501c3 nonprofit organization with a simple mission to excite and educate people about historic Catholic Christianity and to equip them to live, share, and defend it 
in the 21st century. We depend completely on your generous donations. Learn more and consider supporting our ministry by visiting oneworlingadventure.org.